In the last week, I was teaching, um, I was attending a teacher's training conference in California, and I attended a session uh, by Sister Patty Roberts on worship and prayer. And I spoke with her afterwards, and she gave me permission to use some of her material this morning. So, we also had a kids' rally Friday night with 62 kids in the district present that were registered. It was a great time. And we're going to bring a little of that energy into our service this morning. So, if all of our children, 4 to 13, would like to come sit on the front row. Brother Owen, you don't have to move, but Vincent and Marcus, you may have to move over just a little bit. So, if you're from age 4 through 13 and you want to come sit on the front row and be included, we'd love to have you. If your parents are okay with that. You're not going to disrupt the service. You can come sit right up here on the front row. And then I have a couple volunteers I've spoken to already. If they could come up and help me, three volunteers. Sister Erica, Brother Vincent, and Brother Kayla. Could get our kids. If they can't fit on this row, we can, we can um, go into the other row here or this row here. There's plenty of room on all the front rows if we need to, if we need to move over a little bit. Oh, I need you all on the platform, volunteers. We want everybody to be able to see. All right, so we're going to start off with a song. Everybody will have to stand. We're all going to be included together. Everybody stand up. We're going to sing a song together. I'm going to bring a little bit of our, a little bit of our rally to you. Now, there's going to be some motions. Does everybody have hands? If you've got hands, you can do this, Okay. You're not too old. If you're 90 and above, you may sit down. Not. And you don't get involved, I may call you to be a volunteer. So I want to see some moving. We've all got bodies today. They might hurt. But we've got bodies. All right, let's start our song. We're going to give you some motions here.
for a few minutes, we're going to have a dual sermon today. We're going to have a sermon. I'm going to start off talking to the kids with you listening, and then we're going to branch it out a little bit. Matthew 18.1 says, And at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. How many people might have felt, don't raise your hand, but some of us might have felt a little awkward doing motions to a song. It wasn't overly spiritual looking. None of us looked super authentic. But it's worship. We have to humble ourselves. Humility is required to get into heaven. Without humility, repentance is impossible. Without humility, true obedience is impossible. And without humility, true worship is impossible. So for a few minutes, I'm going to talk today on worship. Now, worship is a lifestyle. I'm not talking about the lifestyle worship. I'm talking about the act of worship. When someone says, hey, everybody, let's worship the Lord. There's some definitions there that we might not all understand. Everybody doesn't grow up understanding what, hey, everybody, let's worship the Lord. People start doing things, and other people are like, what's wrong with them? <laughs> so, kids, I'm going to talk to you for a minute about what worship is. Worship is when we use our words and our body to lift up, brag on, and love on Jesus. Do you have a body? Does everybody here have a body? We've all got bodies, right? All right. Do you know what happens when we worship? Do you know what this is? Anybody know what this is? Play-Doh. This is Play-Doh. Kids love Play-Doh. How many parents love Play-Doh? Scraped a bunch of it out of my carpet. But this Play-Doh, do you know what happens to it when you leave it out? It gets dry and crusty. And then when you try to clean it up, it just flakes off and oozes into the carpet. Right? Well, what happens to get Play-Doh? If it's a little crusty and you left it out for 20 minutes, what do you do? Squeeze it, kind of work it together. Because Play-Doh is supposed to be soft and pliable so we can mold it into whatever God, whatever we want it to be. I jumped ahead. So, this Play-Doh represents our heart. And it's supposed to be easy to, for God to say, hey, I want to do this with you. I want to mold you and make you into something. It's supposed to be pliable and moldable for God to work in, for God to touch us. But sometimes life, is life easy and fun all the time? Do you go to school and everyone loves you, right, at school? Everyone's nice. Even if you're homeschooled, it's always good, right? <laughs> I'm with you, brother. <laughs> I have those days. So our, our heart, like this Play-Doh, can get a little crusty. Attitudes, situations, pain, hurt feelings, our heart gets a little hard and starts to get a little crusty. But when we worship the Lord, it's like taking our heart and we begin to squeeze it. We begin to mold it. And that crusty start gets, stuff gets worked back in. And our heart begins to get pliable. So when we worship God, we're making our hearts ready to receive Him. And for His Spirit to work in us. 
and our heart belongs to us. It's our responsibility. God doesn't show up and say, you're looking a little crusty. You should sing a song. (laughs) Read the Bible. Let's get some of that crust off. No, it's our responsibility to worship the Lord and to spend time with the Lord. And that helps our heart stay ready for God. So, how do I do that? I see these people. I come to church. Do any of you play? Playground, you swim in swimming pools, you get up in the morning, any of you stretch? What's the difference between stretching and worshiping? Kind of looks the same, huh? So kids, we're going to do an experiment for you guys to see. So you can all come stand here and turn around and look at the audience. You stand right here and look at the audience. So, audience, what can we use to worship the Lord? Parts of our body. Yell them out. Hands. What else? Voice, feet, anything else? What about our whole body? All right, our legs, our arms, yes, our head. We can do it all. Okay, so the kids are going to watch, and we're going to do an experiment. I would like for all the ladies to stand, if you're able. Now, kids, you have to watch these ladies really close, okay? Now, ladies, here's what we're going to do. I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to count to three, and I want you to clap. I don't want you to do anything but clap. Ready? One, two, three, clap. Stop. Now, kids, did that look like the Lord was moving? Does that look like worship? Can you see somebody clap like that at a ball game? All right, now, ladies, we're going to do something else. You're going to close your eyes. We're going to do it again. But this time, I want you to use your voice to talk to the Lord, to love on the Lord while you're clapping. On three. One two, three. Hallelujah. Yes. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We bless your name. All right. You can stop. You can be seated. Now, kids, did something in the room feel a little different? Did that look like worship? It's a little different, huh? All right. Now we're going to ask our gentlemen to stand. Everybody look at the men. We don't want one man not to get attention. Everybody look at the men. Now, men, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And on the count of three, I just want you to shout. One, two, three, shout. All right. Did that look like worship? All right. Now, gentlemen, if you don't mind, on the count of three this time, I want you to shout Jesus about three or four times. Three, two, one, go. Jesus! Jesus! Yes, yes, that's great. Did that feel a little different when we call on Jesus? Did that feel like worship? Gentlemen, you can be seated. Kids, you can be seated. We can use our bodies in play. We can use our bodies when we're having fun. We can use our bodies for lots of things. And sometimes, especially as children and adults, it's hard to understand What is the difference between when I'm running outside and playing and I'm running in the church? What's the difference when I'm I'm praising freeze tag or I stretch and raising my hands to God? There aren't a lot of differences until our voice gets involved. Now, it's really hard. How many of you think this looks like worship? I love you, Jesus. 
I praise you, Lord. Now, that's really hard to do, believe it or not. Because when you worship God, whether you're a quiet person, I'm not saying you have to yell to worship the Lord. If you're quiet and you kneel down and you're worshiping the Lord, you kind of want to put your head down. Or sometimes you just move a little bit. Or you wanna, you're moving your hands. You're, it's hard to worship the Lord. Our body naturally gets involved. It doesn't matter what part of the world we live in. It doesn't matter what country we're from. It doesn't matter our culture. It may look different. But when people worship God, their body gets involved. Even if it's just a little bit. Some people may put their hands in their pockets and just move a little bit. But our body gets involved. I'm not here today to tell you what your worship should look like. We're here just to talk about worship. I have one more example. My husband would come up. I'm going to make this look a little... We're going to make this work right here. When scripture, <laughs> the scripture says that when we praise and we worship the Lord, He inhabits the praises of our people. Kids, do you know what that means? Do you know what it means for the Lord to inhabit? So when we come to church and we praise and worship the Lord, and the Lord inhabits our praises. He's already here. Many of us are filled with His Spirit. His presence is here. And when we worship, God doesn't show up. We begin to focus on Him. And then we become more aware of Him. We're not worshiping God down into the house. He's here. But when we worship, that crust starts coming off our heart. The distractions begin to go away. And we're like, oh, look, the Lord is here. I feel the Lord. Now, do you think this is how God inhabits? He's here. He's moving among us. He's right here. That's not inhabiting. So, if you'll just hold your hands out like this. When we come in and we begin to worship the Lord. Kids, we worship the Lord. Hold your hands out, kids. And we're like, God, here I am. And we worship Him and we use our bodies and we're open. And we begin to open our hearts to the Lord. He doesn't walk around you and go, oh, so good you're here today. You are faithful. I'm here with you. I'm going to walk with you today. Woo, don't you feel me? No, that's not what God does. We can treat God like that's what he does. But when we really begin to worship, God inhabits our praises and he says, oh, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Let me be with you. And then we raise our arms. It's almost like creating a funnel and his spirit can just come right. It's just like, it's like focusing. We raise our hands, we close our eyes to focus on the Lord. It's not a, it's not a secret code. We naturally want to lift our hands because we feel His presence and His Spirit can come right into us. Now, I wasn't going to hug on anybody else today, but the Lord embraces you. When you worship, the Lord inhabits you. He embraces you. He covers you up with Himself. He comes inside of you. Thank you, baby. He doesn't come stand beside you and say, this is cool. He embraces you. Kids, that's where like, how do I get the Holy Ghost? How do I have God living in my life? When you worship Him, and you worship Him, and you start to feel His presence, somebody might say, raise your hands. It's not a secret code. They're just saying, focus on Him. Everybody doesn't raise their hands to get the Holy Ghost. People can get the Holy Ghost with their hands in their pockets, kneeling down, whatever they are communicating with the Lord. But we want to inhabit the praises of of the Lord. Now, kids, I'm going to get a little more technical. So if you little ones get tired of sitting on the front row at any time, you can go back to your parents. You don't have to. But if you get sick of sitting up here, you're fine, okay? 
Worship is not a new idea. If we look at Genesis 22.5, Abraham says to his servants, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. The servants didn't need Abraham to hand them a list and tell them what he was going to do. The servants didn't need an explanation. They had already been taught. They knew what worship was. They had been taught. They understood. They also knew the importance of worship. Abraham exemplified that to them. Abraham stopped everything he was doing. He had hundreds of people under him, thousands upon thousands of animals. He had a lot to do. He was kind of an important, busy guy. He stopped everything. He loaded up his donkey and his son, and he traveled to a special place to worship, and he took the time to do it because worship is valuable and it's important in our walk with God. Let's jump forward to the Israelites. When Moses was speaking to Pharaoh, we always hear Moses said, Let my people go! Did you know that's not all he said? That's all, we, that's all they say in the Charleston Heston, you know, VHS. Shows you my age. Again and again, Moses said to Pharaoh, Let my people go to worship the Lord their God. This was not just about freedom. They had no freedom to worship their God. You let them go because they need to worship. It wasn't just, I'm here to free the people. I'm here to free the people because it's time for them to come back to me. It's time for them to worship me. Moses understood that Pharaoh was crafty. He said all this to Pharaoh, and this was Pharaoh's response, eventually, eventual response. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. All right, he told them. I'm sick of the, I'm going to ad lib a little bit. I'm sick of the frogs and the lice. I'm sick of the animals being hurt and stuff happening. So you go and worship the Lord your God. But who are you taking with you? Moses replied, we will all go, young and old, our sons and daughters and our flocks and herds. We must all join together in celebrating a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh retorted, the, the Lord will certainly need to be with you if you even think I'll let you take your little ones. I see through your evil plan. Never, only the men may go and worship the Lord. Everyone needs to worship God. The enemy knows it. Pharaoh knew it. And the enemy knows it today. Everyone needs to worship God. The children don't need to be left behind. Nor do they need to be used as an excuse not to worship. The entire family needs to worship together. The enemy's always looking for a way to get us to leave our kids behind. The enemy's always looking for a way to convince our children that they need to be left behind. It's not important that they worship. Take notice, your kids and mine will worship. And if we don't take the time to teach them to worship, the one and only true God, someone else will step in and teach them to worship a replacement. 
And you may think, not my kid, not my grandkid, not my niece or nephew. That's never going to happen. But if we don't do the job of teaching them to worship, there's, there's a whole bunch of replacements lined up. Just looking for a little crack to get in. It doesn't even take much time. Finally, Pharaoh called for Moses. Go and worship the Lord, he said, but leave your flocks and herds behind. You can even take your little ones with you. The enemy never stops. If we keep our kids and we teach them to worship, then the enemy will go to the next thing. He'll try to convince us that we don't need any resources for worship. After all, you're going to worship the one true God. Why does he need you, your stuff? Why does he need you to give? He doesn't need your worship that way. Giving and sacrifice are not necessary for you. He's God, after all. Because the enemy knows that when we give, it affects us. It changes us. And it changes everything around us. It changes our circumstances. It changes our life. It changes our mindset. It changes how we feel, and it changes how we look at the world. So if the enemy knows you're going to worship and you're going to teach your kids to worship, then he's going to try to help you feel extra special. God doesn't need your resources. You don't need to take everything to the house of God. Just show up. Be there for a little while, and that's enough for you. Moses said no. He refused to leave Egypt to worship God without every single person, every single animal, and every single resource they had. They took everything to go worship God because they had no intention of coming back. And when we follow God and we worship Him, we take everything we've got because we don't want to take any time to look back and get distracted by where we've been. We only, worshipers look forward at what God's going to do. In Matthew 4, 8 through 10, the devil shows his hand. He knows how powerful and important worship is. He's speaking to Jesus. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him, which is Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Satan was pulling all his tricks because if he could just get Jesus to worship him, he knew he had won. Jesus responded, Get out of here, Satan, for the scripture says, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Satan left because worship is vital. Worship is key to a relationship with God. It's key to our walk with God. It's key to every single day with God. Worship isn't just when we come to the house, to the church house to pray and worship together. Yes, that's vital, but worship happens every day. I want to share with you a story from 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 22 through 29. And the people of Israel persisted in all the evil ways of Jeroboam. They did not turn from these sins until the Lord finally swept them away from his presence, just as all his prophets had warned. So Israel was exiled from their land to Assyria, where they remain to this day. The king of Assyria transported groups of people from Babylon, the Kutha, the Ava, the Hamath, and the 
Seraphim, and resettled them in the towns of Samaria. Samaria sound familiar to anybody? Replacing the people of Israel. They took possession of Samaria and lived in its town. Something strange began to happen. Since these foreigner settlers, they didn't worship the Lord when they first arrived. So the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Now these people don't know anything. They've been, they are other people that have been taken from their land that have been conquered by Syria, and they've been put in a foreign land. And now the, Lord, the God of that land sent lions among them and is killing them. So a message, it would be a very fast message, was sent to the king of Assyria. The people you have sent to live in the towns of Samaria do not know the religious customs of the God of the land. So he has sent lions among them to destroy him because they have not worshipped him correctly. The king of Assyria then commanded, send one of the exiled priests back to Samaria. Let him live there and teach the new residents the religious customs of the God of the land. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria returned to Bethel and taught the new residents how to worship the Lord. So he comes back and he says, this is how you need to worship the God of the land. So just like we can take our kids and we can say, this is how you worship God. You sing, we talk to him, we raise our hands, we come together, we pray. This is how you worship God. This is what this, this priest did. He taught all of these foreigners, this is how you worship Yahweh, the God of the land. What's fascinating about this is these people learned how to worship God. No one taught them who God was. They didn't know him. But they knew how to worship him to appease him. Let's jump forward to the story of the woman at the well in Samaria with Jesus. Jesus has come to the well. He's sitting there. He's waiting. And this woman comes along. She is creeping through town. Where's Brother Arash? She was a chicken. Now she had plenty of reason to be a chicken. People can be mean. So she is creeping through town when everybody's taking their siesta and she's going to get her water and she gets to the well that's supposed to be empty and there's a man sitting there. And not only is it a man, it's a Jew. If she thought the people in the town hated her, that was nothing compared to how the Jews hated the Samaritans. So now she's got to try to draw water beside this guy that hates her more than everybody she's trying to avoid. He begins to talk to her. He begins to tell her things about herself that there's no way he could know. She says, sir, you must be a prophet. And now if you were going to sit down with a prophet, someone you knew could tell you, had told you all these things about yourself, what questions might you ask? What questions might come to your mind? If you knew you had a chance to sit with somebody that could tell you the truth about what was coming, you could ask any question you wanted to ask. What might you ask? This woman said, So tell me, if you're a prophet, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped. Remember that priest that taught those people how to worship? Her ancestors worshipped at this mountain. 
And they knew how to worship this God, but she's like, what's the big deal? Of all the questions she could have asked Jesus, she wants to know about worship. Because worship is important. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. These are the words of Jesus. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You know very little about the one you worship. What a statement. How many of us in here would want God to look at us after a Sunday morning and say, you know very little about me. You know the motions. You know what to do. How many of you have ever been to a concert? Why do people go to concerts? You can buy the song, the whole CD, for $15. Oh, wait, I'm old. You can go online and download the stuff on your phone for El Cheapo. How's that? Yet people pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go to a concert. Why? Because of the feeling. Anybody ever been to a concert where everybody's doing this? They're feeling the music. We were created to worship. We can play sad music and cry in our soup. We have nothing. We have the best day of our life, and that song comes on the radio. And you come home, and my husband's like, what's wrong with you? He's like, oh, there's a song. It just tore me up. I was having such a good day. Or I can be having a bad day, turn on some worship music, and somebody in my family just died. My husband comes in, and I'm, I'm all washing the dishes. He's like, are you okay? You know, we're grieving. I'm like, yeah, but this song came on. It just does something to me. I just can't help it. And guess what? It doesn't have to be a godly song. I grew up in Arkansas. You turn on a couple of those old country songs, man, oh, I feel it. I, have, I am not lying. I have been listening to a country song and raise my hands. Because when I feel something that powerful, I'm usually praying or in church. And what do I do? So out of habit, I start feeling it. And I'm all ready to worship. But you don't have to grow up in church to be doing that. I've been around people that have never been in the house of God. They've never been exposed to the Spirit of God. And they get that song and they'll all be out there. Because we can't help it. We respond to the music. It does something to us. It changes something to us. So we can come to church and we can hear the right song with the right tune and we can leave feeling great. And the whole time I was feeling great, I made my grocery list. I know what I'm cleaning when I get home. I'm just like, oh, yeah. I might even be able to speak in tongues a little bit and never think about God. Or who he is. Or what he's done for me. Because it's easy. Because I know how to do it. I don't have to 
think about walking most of the time. I do have days where I trip all the time. But we, we becomes a habit. We know how to respond, but responding isn't worship. We can come to church and we're like, ooh, look at God and have it in the praises of his people. I'm sure I just felt his spirit brush up right next to me. Mm. I'm going to go home. I had a brush with the Lord. But he didn't inhabit my praises because I wasn't giving them to him. It was all about me. And that same attitude happens when we come to church. It's like, I hate that song. Oh, my word, that song has been around since Noah's Ark. That's what they did. They had nothing to do, and they wrote this song. I cannot feel Jesus. I, I'm guilty. I've been in a church. I don't like any of those songs. I don't know how in the world they expect me to have a move of God with that. It was so loud, it ran Jesus off. I felt that way too. So we have these things that affect our emotions. But we should be able to worship God no matter how we're feeling. Because He is our Savior and our King. He's the one and only true God. There is none beside Him. When we die and go in the ground, we won't stay there. We will rise again and live forever with Him. So if I'm hurting, or I don't like the song, or I, sometimes it's harder to worship when you love the song. Because for me, I'm like, oh, I love this song. And I do, and it makes me get the good feels. But I'm not worshiping God. I have to stop myself and say, am I worshiping God or the music here? What's happening in my mind here? And so you have these people. Jesus spoke to this lady and said, you know very little about the one you worship. We can praise people all day long that we don't know. We can hate on people, and we can praise people. Oh, look at this politician. I just love them. Look what they did. Look at this politician. I hate them. Well, well we, hope, we hope they don't ever get elected and something bad happens to us. We get these feelings. We pick sides. We can praise people. It's so easy. I can clap for somebody. I actually didn't like anything they did. But everybody else is clapping, and I don't want to look like the oddball. So I'm going to clap. That was absolutely terrible. But look at us. We all know how to do what's socially acceptable. So we come to church. Oh, no. Everybody's raising their hands. Mmm. Jesus paid it all. I wish he'd pay my bills. That's not worship. We just don't want to look different than everybody else. I wish he'd pay my bills. I mean, he makes a way. He does, but we actually have to work for it. God is looking for true worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth, not in what everybody else is doing or how I feel. It has nothing to do with our feelings. Worship affects our feelings and our emotions. But our feelings and our emotions shouldn't change or dictate our worship. Worship comes first, and then we, it will affect how we feel. Let's look to the New Testament. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. 
Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. These people were worried to death they were going to miss a God. So they had all the gods they knew about, all the idols, and then they made one to the God we don't know about. And Paul said, This God, whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. This is the God you worship without knowing. So Paul says to them, You worship the one and only true God, and you don't even know who you worship. There are those that worship God without knowing Him. They praise Him. I personally don't believe you can truly worship God if you don't know Him, at least a little bit. But you can praise Him. And Scripture says He inhabits the praises of people. So just because... Someone knows how to do the motions and they can feel God. And he comes in and he inhabits that space with them. Doesn't mean they know God and that they are worshiping him in spirit and truth. Many people have been taught the motions of worship. We enjoy the feelings we get when the songs are played and we sing the words. And being around the presence of God is a really good feeling. But they don't know him. Can this happen to you and I? Can we worship God without taking the time to know Him? True worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. True worshipers will worship with all they are and with all they have. True worshipers know their God and are continually learning Him, seeking Him, believing Him, and changing to be more like him. So we're going to end like it's a children's rally. We're not going to have an altar call. They do that at children's rallies. We're not going to do that. We didn't do it the other night. It's too much. We're going to stand together, and we are going to, aloud, we are going to read a scripture together that says how to worship God. Then... We're going to read a scripture together that is worship. And then we're going to turn this house into a place of worship. Everyone worships God in their own way. I'm in no way giving anyone instruction of how you have to worship God for it to be worship. But I don't want every... If you want to come to the altar during that time, that's fine. If you want to be in the aisles, if you want to be in your pew. But today, I want us to practice knowing God, thinking about what we know, the truth that we know about God which we're going to read, the truths about God first. And then we're going to worship Him in spirit. And we're going to take a few minutes to worship the King of the universe, our Creator, by knowing Him. So we're going to start with Psalm 100. And we're going to, let's read it aloud together. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him, singing with joy. The knowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His. 
We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Let's just take a minute before we read our next one and praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, God. Thank you that you are our creator. We will enter into your courts with praise. We will magnify you and thank you, Lord, for you are good. You are mighty. You are righteous and you are holy. There is none like you, Jesus. We lift you up, Lord. We praise you, God. We want you to inhabit our praise, Jesus, and be in this place today. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you, Lord, for deliverance. Thank you, Lord, for mercy and grace. We bless your name, Jesus. We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Magnify you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Feel that. Feel our focus changing. Feel our shift changing as we praise our Creator. We love you, Lord. We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless your name, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Mm. We're going to take a minute. We're going to read one more. It's a little longer. And then we're going to have a moment. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. But let's read this one together. This is Psalms 89, 5 through 16. And this is a straight-up worship to the King of Kings. All heaven will praise your great wonders, Lord. Myriad of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. For who in all of heaven can compare with the Lord? What mightiest angel is anything like the Lord? The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. You crush the great sea monster. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. You created north and south, Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon. Praise your name. Powerful is your arm. Strong is your hand. Your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. They exalt in your righteousness. This is the God that we serve. He is faithful. He is mighty. 